0: Welcome back to the True Transformation Podcast. It is your host, Josiah Novak, author of Diet Suck, now available on Amazon, and owner and founder of thetruetransformation.com. Today, I have a very special guest, Mike Catherwood. Psycho Mike as he's known throughout the entertainment biz this guy has been around and done quite a bit in radio and entertainment if you don't already know who he is well a few things about Mike that you should probably know before we jump into the interview. First and foremost, um, he's well known for his work on a couple different shows, one of which The Kevin and Bean Show, a very famous radio show based out of Los Angeles, and he is also known for being the co-host of Loveline with Dr. Drew. I know I grew up listening to Loveline and knew of Mike uh, many, many years ago, and it's come full circle now that I've got to interview him and consult with him on his nutrition because Mike is a fitness addict this guy is a freak of nature man he not only works his ass off has a daughter he's married he's got a ton going on with his current podcast the high and dry podcast with jason ellis but this guy's in shape and that's why i wanted to have him on the show because his background is incredible this guy is a recovering drug and alcohol addict so he's been through a hell of a lot he started his own band this guy has like got multi-talents um Once you start following Mike, you'll see what I mean. Uh, He's very inspirational. He's very down to earth, uh, happens to actually be hilarious, (laughs) and um, he's got an incredible story. So it's inspirational. It's another story of transformation, and I think you're going to get a lot out of today's episode. Mike's also starting his own fitness podcast very soon, so be on the lookout for that. And uh, you can connect with Mike. Uh, over on Instagram. Uh, His Instagram handle is just at Mike Catherwood. So you can go check him out on Instagram. And once again, he hosts or co-hosts the High and Dry podcast with Jason Ellis. Hey, real quick, before we jump into the interview, I just want to remind you that if you haven't picked up our blueprint on how to look your best with no clothes on, how to look good in your birthday suit, how to look good naked, well, now's the time to do so because we're getting ready to end this guide forever it's going to go away forever very soon we're coming out with a brand new one but this one is badass and you're not going to want to miss it just go to lookgoodnaked.co that's lookgoodnaked.co and get your copy today before it's gone for good all right now let's jump into my discussion with mike catherwood welcome to the true transformation podcast with your host me josiah novak Welcome to the podcast. Here's my daddy, Josiah Nova. What's up, Mike, dude? First of all, uh, it's an honor to have you on the show. Uh, I've known of you for, I don't know. I guess it's been a, it's probably been at least five years, I would say. Which is kind of crazy. I don't know where time flies, but it goes somewhere, and I forget how fast it goes by. And it's like, holy shit, I've known about this guy for. Half a decade.
1: You hit a certain age. I think uh, for me, it was like mid-30s where time just evaporates.
0: That's where I am. I'm There's in the, no I'm difference
1: in the, between me at – I'm 40. There was no difference between me now and me at 32. It feels like it was yesterday. You know, <laughs> When I think back to my 20s or my te- – I, I mean, that's a whole different life. And I can really uh, – uh, it's very tangible, the idea of that time being gone. But from like 32 to now, it just it, – it, it's like it's in the ether it just goes away.
0: It's absurd, man. Yeah. I, I literally blink and it's halfway through another month. And I look at my kids. I looked at my, my five-year-old, he's actually almost five. And he's like, it seems like he grew a foot overnight. And I'm like, right. what, what in the hell is going on, man? Like where, I want to know where the time goes, where do they keep it.
1: <laughs> and if you, I have a five-year-old as well. And if you, you talk to them, you, you, you get reminded of, do you remember being in school the difference between spring break and summer—it seemed like an eternity. That was oh, six yeah. weeks, but it seemed like an eternity in an adult world. Six weeks is is nothing, but oh. man, back then, it, it, you might—it was a lifetime. And God
0: forbid we have fun now. It's like it'll speed yeah. things up even more. It's I crazy, know. man. I know, it's, it's insane. So yeah, I, I discovered you, uh, I believe through—I think it, I want to say—Love Line.
1: Okay. Awesome. Yeah.
0: And then, uh, you were, uh, a guest on one of my good friends over at mind pump. Um, yeah, those guys are great. Yeah. Those guys are awesome. And, uh, and now we connected via Twitter and I'm like, that's just crazy. You know, social media has made the world so much smaller in my opinion. So, you know, you start to connect with people who you were like, Oh, those guys are awesome. You know, I'd be, you know, I love listening to them. And then all of a sudden you're
1: chatting on a podcast. It's just, it's a, it's absurd and it made it made the world smaller i think in a really good way um mm-hmm. because like obviously everyone can bemoan how uh social media has made people more mean and more toxic and and, and there's a lot of truth to that but there's so much benefit um even uh, for silly stuff cultural stuff like i grew up i was born and raised in la and you know 10 15 years ago like there was a, and i don't want to sound like some coastal elitist but there was a difference you go to a small town in wisconsin things weren't as Mm. happening and as cool. The bands didn't come play and, and the the best standups didn't come in town and the fashion seemed to be far behind. Now there's no difference. That is, I don't care if you live in a town of 20 people or if you live in Manhattan, things are, things are, everything's accessible to everyone and everything's everyone's tuned in, you know?
0: Yeah. I remember even, I mean, I guess it was probably like 20 years ago to see like the best shows or to, you know, find out what was cool I'd have to travel up to New York yeah. or, you know, go uh, to LA. Like those are the only places where people were like hip, you know yeah. what I mean? And now it's like, I was just in uh, an, a city, a small city outside of Chicago last week. And uh, it was like, I, I didn't even realize I wasn't downtown. Like everybody just was on top of their game. Like everybody looked, you know, in shape, all this yeah. kind of stuff. And I was like, huh, it's, it's crazy. Like everybody's kind of caught up with the times, I guess. And I feel like, yeah, social media has definitely influenced that.
1: It's been it's been cool, I, you know, and it's like I start to see people out here, especially in the fitness and, and health arena, um, because I feel like, you know, for so long, not only Los Angeles, but it's specifically where I live in Venice, Santa Monica area and here in like Miami Beach, they put such a monopoly on the like abs and bikini body and like what you need to do to get there. And there was all these gurus and fitness experts and, stuff. and now it's like. Your time has come, you know, the gig is up. Anybody, <laughs> anybody who, anybody who's passionate and has, has, um, has information and, and has a, a real, you know, head on their shoulders, it doesn't matter where you live. You can make a living and, and, and do darn good at it, you know?
0: Oh yeah. I'm curious to know what was it like growing up in LA, man? Cause I know a lot of people I talk to who are in LA now mm-hmm. are not really from there, right? They kind of migrated there. They chased a dream and ended up there. Uh, what was it like growing up there?
1: It was, it it is strange. And every time I meet people, especially, you know, in the entertainment industry or even in the periphery of it and they go, so where are you from? I say LA. They look at me like I'm like I'm from another planet because (laughs) everyone who works in the industry in particular is, is from Boston, Chicago, Pittsburgh, and they come to LA to work in the entertainment industry. But um, you know, it's, there's, there was a lot of downside. Um, I love, not only am I from L.A., but I'm really weird because I love it here. Oh, uh, yeah. Everybody yeah. Oh, everybody always super talks about weirdo. <laughs> everybody always talks a bunch of mess about it. But the reality is, is like um, there was a lot of downside. I'm not blind to – I mean, the overpopulation was crazy. There were 60, 65 kids in my classroom, you know, growing up. It's, it was oh my gosh. insane. Um, and uh, and um, not so much anymore now, but in the 90s, even if i lived in a relatively safe uh, kind of affluent area and you just always felt scared of gang violence or something mm-hmm. popping off and, and and um so there was there, there was that threat um but there was also kind of like um an imminent excitement about the fact that i'm you know i'm, I'm eight miles from the sunset strip i'm right next to dodger stadium and there felt like you know there was something special um and the the cool thing about los angeles in comparison to i think like uh directly to uh new york city is um los angeles really spread out Mm. it's not stacked on top of each other chicago san francisco new york they're they're you know walkable cities la is this this massive expanse so you get like the this big city thing if you want it but you can kind of hide you know you go away and and do your thing and i always i always like that about it but um uh another another aspect of it is like a lot of stuff that people are having to tread lightly around now and they're having to deal with it in their adult life was really normalized for me. Um, I, I had a, a girl, I had lesbian couples that went to the prom together. Yeah, you know, yeah. In 1996, you know, to me. So, like, it wasn't, uh, nothing is new or unique or shocking or disturbing to me, you know, and I, I definitely appreciated that aspect of living here.
0: Yeah. Did you always think, I mean, I guess, did you think about getting into the entertainment industry or I guess the pop culture industry as a kid, or was it something that you kind of just said, you know, I, I don't really know what I want to do. And then you ended up doing that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I, up until about 18 or 19, I thought I just hope I can do anything. I just don't want to be a loser because mm-hmm. I was without question and I'm not trying to be self-deprecating. I was, I was a, a loser. I was a washout. I was a complete drug addict, wasteoid. That was that kid, you know, like terrible student. Um, I was a good athlete, but I wasn't like, I wasn't going to a, a good college. i playing sports or anything. I, I i just enjoyed playing sports and, um, you know, hanging with my friends. Um, I, I had nothing really going for me. I didn't really have any light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and then about, 17 18 I I started to really make a decision like this sounds insane and it drives my parents crazy I'm gonna be a rock star that was it and I and I made it like a real a a a, a true um passionate conviction towards doing that and and the worst possible thing that could happen to me happened to me and I got into a band that was relatively successful in the in the punk and hardcore scene it wasn't like you know, I wasn't in the Foo Fighters, but yeah. but we toured and we had, we, you know, we got, we, we had fans and we were recording and stuff like that. And I was about 19. I moved to San Francisco and I did that and, um, and I loved it. And I thought I'm going to be the next Dave Grohl. That's it. That's it. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I was already pretty aware that I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. I was a mm. practicing drug addict and alcoholic, but I, it was still fun then I got drunk and high every day, but it was still, there was that phase where it was like, I, I could still pull it off. And I still had a smile on my face mm. as the, as the music came into my life, the drugs and the alcohol definitely surmounted that. Oh, and, yeah? I, and it got, it got really dark really quickly. So I moved back to LA still under the impression that I was going to like get myself together and, uh, go, go into the music industry. And my parents convinced me to give like college and a real life a try. And I said, okay, no problem. And I went to, I moved to New Jersey. I went to Rutgers. Oh, wow. um, And I studied agricultural um, economics because uh, my parents retired to um, to central California and had a ranch, you know, they grew wine grapes. So I said, "I'll, I'll figure out how to run the family business. I'll study agriculture. So I went to Rutgers And and again, the worst possible thing that could happen to me happened to me is that that was like 2000, 99, 2000. So the explosion of the East East Coast punk rock hardcore scene was just like Mm. happening around. I'd just walk into a bar and My Chemical Romance and Dillinger would be playing, you know? And it was like that whole Northeastern hardcore scene was just exploding. So I got wrapped up in that. Next again, of course, the drugs took over more so than the music. Then I started living in, I'd never went to class, got kicked off campus, was living, flopping around New York city, flopping around Philly. Um, and that that's when it got, it wasn't fun anymore. It got, Mm -hmm. it got so dark that I couldn't turn away from it. And I, I was at a crossroads where I could either, I was like, I can ride this into the sunset and I'll be dead or in jail very soon. Or I can really give, uh, you know, recovery a shot. And I moved back to LA again with my hat in hand, you know, kind of groveling to my parents and they were amazing about it. They were fully supportive. And, um, I, I got into recovery. It was just like my third or fourth try of going to rehab, but this time was real. This time I actually really wanted to do something about it. And, um, I got clean. That was 2002. Mm. And, um, I got a job at the local radio station here in Los Angeles, K rock was kind of a yeah. well-known alt rock station. And I got a job there, like as a straight gig. Um, I had three or four other jobs where I was a janitor and doing everything I could to just like kind of put my life back together, still intending to be um, going after the music thing. So I got a job at K rock cause I figured, Hey, it's cooler. If I'm going to lift boxes, I'd rather do it there than, you know, oh, somewhere yeah. else. and I started prank calling the morning show and, doing little stunts on the street and videotaping myself kind of doing weird things. And by a long series of weird circumstances, I got a job on the morning show. They hired Mm -hmm. me to be a part of the morning show. And that was like, um, just this weird, unbelievably lucky, unbelievably, unbelievably strange um, turn of events for me. And, uh, I, I built a career in broadcasting out of no, I had no intention. I never thought I, I never, I wasn't like Seacrest. I didn't grow up wanting to be Ricky or Howard Stern. You know, I, I just fell into it. And, and from that point on, I I became kind of obsessive about making my career.
0: That's incredible, man. I, so in terms of like the recovery part of your life, I mean, did you have, did you have like relapses back to you know, the drug lifestyle or or was it like, ah, just doing it all the time and then kind of being like, oh yeah, this is just fun. This is great. And then holy shit, like I got to get my life together type of moment and maybe like a near death type of experience or something like that to then jump into recovery. Or was it like dabbled in recovery, back to the drugs, dabble? I'm just curious because I come from a family of addicts, like all the way down my father's side, my siblings have addiction issues. And what I see is like this whole like, all right, I'm, I'm in, right? I'm going for it. I'm going to go recover. I'm going to get my life together and then getting sucked back yeah. into it, right? And it's just back and forth.
1: Yeah, it's, um, that's the one thing about both addiction and recovery that I think Hollywood has always gotten wrong mm. is that, and I, and I don't want to speak as if my experience is the, is the universal way, but it's just from knowing, from being in the recovery community and talking to so many people they share the same story is that it's not, it's not linear. It it, doesn't not like it gets worse and worse and worse. And then I went to jail and then that was the moment I decided I, I, I had, I woke, I would wake up in an ambulance so much that it stopped being interesting. And so I've overdoses, I went to jail. I, I, I crashed cars. I, I got the shit kicked out of me all, all the time. And none of that really inspired me to, to get clean. I, I would flirt with the idea of getting sober and I'd go three weeks, I'd go six yeah. months, but I'd always fall back into the lifestyle, like you said. And then finally um, in 2002, when I got, when I got clean, hopefully, you know, by the grace of God for good, mm. um, I, it was a, an unbelievably innocuous situation. I wasn't going to jail. I wasn't anything, there was nothing happening. I was sitting in a hotel, um, in a pretty bad neighborhood here in Los Angeles and uh, I was drink midday drinking. I, I, uh, so I was cooking rocks, doing the whole thing. Mm. And I was watching like daytime television. I think it was Jenny Jones was on the, oh, yeah. the <laughs> on the hotel TV and for no, I, I can't recall any real motivation or inspiration just in that moment. I, something hit me and I walked over to the yellow pages and I looked for recovery centers and i called and asked around to see if they had beds and one of them did and that was it that was the end there was no like considering all the other things that had happened to me that you would think would really inspire me to change my life that was the moment i just i don't know if i became really cognizant of the fact that i was wasting my life and how sad yeah. it was that i was a able-bodied 22 year old you know that was sitting in a hotel in inglewood smoking rocks <laughs> um,
0: in the but, kitchen, right? Yeah.
1: Right. You know. So I, I just that that was the moment. Like, like you said, there was there was these like incredible ebb and flow of like amazingly uh, dramatic situations that didn't seem to have effect. There was also rel, you know, relative times of of peace, uh, uh, you know, of peace time that that seemed to have a big effect on me. So there's no there's no like linear process to getting to that point. It just that was the day, that was the moment when I decided that I was going to actually give it a shot and believe in myself.
0: I see that all the time too in fitness, right? I mean, working with people who need to lose a lot of weight, who are extremely unhealthy and they have an addiction to food or comfort or whatever. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, they dabbled in everything. They've dabbled in these diets, these workout plans. And then all of a sudden, like nothing really dramatic happens. It's just like one day they're just like, shit, man, I, this is, I'm done with this shit. I'm tired you know? of it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm tired of this shit. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. For sure. And that to me is like always the most inspirational, um, at, uh, that, that aspect of fitness has been the most inspirational and the most touching to me is like, look, like I, I know plenty of elite athletes. I know guys who were, who came out of the womb with a six pack. You oh, know, yeah. I'm sure you know those guys too, guys and gals. Um, but you know, when I see those people that are three, 400 pounds sometimes, and, and they're in the gym plugging away and it's like that, that guy, that gal, they had the moment and they just said, I'm tired of this and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to look for the easy way out. I'm not going to look for a shortcut. I'm going to dive right into the fire, you know, and, and, and do it. And that's, that's you know, so tremendously inspirational.
0: What do you attribute the most to staying clean? Cause it's been what, almost 20 years, right?
1: Yeah. Be uh, be 18, no 17 in October. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. That's incredible. Like, what do you, what do you attribute that success to? Cause I mean, I know so many people, and not just addiction to drugs, but people yeah. are addicted to so much, especially now with access to everything. Porn, right? I mean, I, I talk to guys all the time who are like, I, I fucking watch porn three times a day. And I'm like, Yeah, it's it's addiction culture, right? Like, how do you how have you stayed clean? What are some of the things you've done?
1: Um there there's a lot of factors. One of, one of them I have to be fully honest. One of them is luck. Mm. I'm really lucky. I have supportive network of friends, family around me and that, that have been open and always supportive. There wasn't like this shame mentality where it's like, we got to keep this a secret here. and there. Yeah, is. you're not the
0: black sheep or whatever.
1: Right, whatever we got to do to take care of this, you know, you're aware of it, we're aware of it. Let's, let's do what we can. And, and I, I, you know, when I, my heart bleeds for people who don't have that. Oh, yeah. Um, and a lot of times, you know, I live in, in Venice here in, in LA and the really, really, really bad, um, homeless problem, in yeah, Venice, and um, so every once in a while, I'll interact with a homeless guy and, and I'll, I'll talk to him for five or five, ten minutes. And you, I realize like there's really one difference between me and you, and it's the zip code we grew up in. You oh, know? yeah, like hmm. I could so easily be you if I didn't, I wasn't lucky enough to be born into the world that I had. You know, I, I, there's, no, there's no doubt in my mind, I can look in those guys' eyes and I can see like. There's, there's, there's nothing that separates you. Milli,
0: millimeters, for, right? It's just, millimeters. yeah.
1: Except for the, the luck of the draw. Like you, yeah. you, you know, you didn't have a mom and a dad that, that cared for you or you didn't have, and another, another kind of piece of that luck is I, I've like, is a super amazing wife. Oh yeah. That, that, you know, and, and a lot of people have good partners that um, are supportive of the, like on paper, they're supportive of their recovery. They'll they'll mm-hmm. take them to meetings, but my my wife's amazing about like all the other aspects of it, and that is that she loves me enough to go to the uncomfortable places.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like she Why? always. What does, that, what does that mean? She and I, I know. Frankly, I'm not man enough sometimes to do it, but mm-hmm. I'll, and I'll I'll see things in our relationship. I'll see things that she's doing, and I'll be like. I don't have the balls to say something right now. I'm not going to speak up. I I know that she could be doing A, B, and C and she'd probably benefit from it, but I don't want to get in an argument and I don't want to go to that weird, awkward place. And my wife always calls me on my bullshit. Mm. If I'm getting lethargic with um, my recovery, if I'm getting uh, lackadaisical with my professional life and everything, my wife's really good about, and in a non-nagging way, she just, you could tell that like, it's out of love that she cares and she wants what's best for me. And she knows when I'm fucking up. And, mm. and that has been instrumental, you know, in, uh, in helping me. And then also like, I, I, I really tread lightly here because I don't want to sound like some guy who got clean and then is going to become, um, an evangelist for <laughs> the, the, the life of 12 steps. But right, right. I, I truly believe it's worked for me. Whatever gets you clean, gets you clean. If you don't believe in it, if you don't want to go to the 12, 12 steps, that's, that's your business. It worked for me. And I have to say that, like, when I really committed to the idea of it and, and surrendered to the process, um, it, it, it just made things so much easier.
0: Yeah, it worked for my sister, too. Um, yeah. and she's the most stubborn person I've ever met in my life. <laughs>
1: Right. And, and, you know, I I went through those phases, you know, when I was really young and I, you know, when I'd go to meetings and stuff, I was like, roll my eyes and I'd be cynical. And, uh, and, you know, you can't, can't, can't expect much out of that.
0: No. Yeah. I mean, I think early on too, there's just like, you almost feel, I I don't know. I I guess I try to put myself in those shoes. Cause I I struggled with food addiction for a long time. Right. And so me overcoming that really, I had to, I had to dive into uh, an environment, right. It wasn't, you know, 12 steps, because there isn't a 12 step group for food, I don't think, but being around guys who went through the same thing, and kind of having almost, I don't want to say, cult's not the right word, but having a, uh, just a, a very predictable process and system, mm. right, um, changed the game for me, because I didn't have to like, think, right, for a while, I could just, I could just follow it, show up, do what I needed to do, get get acclimated, start learning stuff, and, and then all of a sudden I realized, oh, this is working, right? Because I just just gave in, right? I just said, you know, I'm just going to follow it. F- fuck, what, what else? <laughs> What's the worst that could happen, right? Like, oh, I do something crazy for, you know, a few months and nothing works, but it did work. Um, how is fitness? Well,
1: and and oh, also, like, that, that leads into fitness, and not to interrupt you, but
0: yeah,
1: are like, you and I both, even before the podcast, we talked about the, the beauty of kind of free form, mm. and that's true. There's, there's, there's a lot of beauty in abstract thinking, in, in filling in the cracks, and being able to be limber with your thinking, but none of that's really capable unless it's within the structure of, of routine. Yes. And the framework of routine, I think, is something that people, um, because we're so free, and because we have the internet, and because uh, now uh, really anything you want to do in life is, is available to you if you want to, that's very liberating, and that's beautiful, but it's mm-hmm. kind of like floating in space it's, it's fun and it's great for a while, but after a while you realize like, I have no point of reference and I'm just floating within nothing. Yeah. And it's really nice to have framework to work in. And I think like, you got to find that balance of like, you know what? I like to be open-minded and I like to work, you know, off the, off the cuff, but framework and routine are, are really actually pretty kick-ass.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, rules, I tell people all the time, rules are awesome, right? Rules are great. Laws yeah. are fucking great right people can hate all day on laws and rules but they really do help put you in the right direction they help prevent disaster right i mean like the space i love that analogy right it's the, it's like this is an interstellar right we're, we 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 got to we got to have some level of control uh, mm-hmm. and and some framework because otherwise you know like a podcast we, we could sit here and talk for 6 hours about all types of stuff but nobody's going to listen probably for 6 hours and, and we're not going to get shit done right that we need to get done so it makes it makes so much sense. So fitness, yeah. I mean, you're you're big into fitness. Um, were you always into the fitness like this, or did, was this part of like becoming who you ended up being now? Like, were you just? You said you were an athlete, but when did you yeah. really fall in love with the fitness side? I of that? Mean,
1: I mean, I fell in love with like the idea of lifting weights, like through football, high school, and stuff like that. But I definitely wasn't like a fitness minded person. I yeah. mean, I I never um, and, to, and then when I when I got clean, that's when I really started to take it seriously. And and I, and it became much more to me than just looking good. That's when it really clicked and made a difference is that I realized like making an effort, not because a boss tells me to, not because a judge tells me to, not because mom or dad tells me to making a personal effort to go and do something uncomfortable. Um, and, and see my progress. Um, pays so much dividend to me psychologically and emotionally. Mm. And and that that's when it uh you know and and then as a byproduct I started I started to look better, started to feel better. Yeah. But it really was something to me that I, I noticed was um was a, 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 like I said it was a it was a spiritual thing first and then it and it fell back onto being a, a physical thing. You're you're
0: in the mecca too of uh well at least for someone who grew up in the Midwest and then on the East coast, you're, you're in the Mecca of fitness, man. Like that's it's like... true.
1: Yeah. I mean, it sounds cheesy and don't get me wrong. Like there's, you know, a lot of people, it depends on really like how you look at it to, to yeah. a lot of people West side barbell would be the Mecca, you know, like to a lot of people, like I'm sure like a certain CrossFit gym would be the mecca or like a, a running group in, in Colorado Springs. Yeah. But if you're talking straight meathead bodybuilding, it's, <laughs> yes. it's the best. And, and, you know, I, I can't lie. It's, it's pretty cool to be like getting your workout on and Arnold walks in and, yeah. and it's not like he had to shut the gym down. Like, Oh, there's Arnold. It's pretty cool. Like Dorian Yates was there last oh, week. It's like, there's Dorian. There's there, you know, three or four different Mr. Olympias from different eras are training at one time. And you're like, this is, you know, it's pretty cool.
0: <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, there's probably only, like, two or three celebrities that I would ever be, like, you know, speechless. I don't know what the fuck to say. Like, trapped in an elevator, right? Like, uh, Arnold's definitely one of them. Arnold's,
1: the like, The funny my hero. thing about Arnold is that growing up here and then also, um, you know, getting kind of into the industry, if you could say that, I, I get a chance to meet a lot of celebrities. And yeah. there's something very strange, beautiful, but very strange about Arnold Schwarzenegger. And <laughs> this is, like... That's an amazing way to put it. People... People of his stature, international, worldwide, A-list, no ifs, ands, or buts, superstars. Yes, they're different. They do not usually roll solo, and if they do, they have a they have like a crew of like their manager, uh, a publicist that they go with, and they're pretty guarded, you know. And they they try to stay off in their own. They a guy like Arnold, most likely at, at his stature, would be at a private fitness institution where he oh, can for sure home gym trainer whatever yeah arnold will walk into gold gym and start a conversation with every goddamn person he walks <laughs> by and makes will get compliment you on your squats and then he keep walking and then it, and then take a picture get a set in he's so like he's so open to the idea of being one with the people even though he's not this isn't a guy who's on like you know an extra on a on a cw show oh this no is the, He's Arnold freaking Schwarzenegger. And it's so crazy because he just doesn't have that, 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 where he has that separation of himself and the rest of the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't want this to be an Arnold fanboy moment, but, like, <laughs> it is something to where I've, I've, I've always thought, you know, because, you know, I've lived now through – we're old enough now to have a few generations of superstars, right, that we, mm-hmm. that we see. I think The Rock is probably, like, the most comparable one today. But right, uh, Arnold is just different you know, because fitness has always been his thing and he's never let that slide. Right. You know, the Arnold, uh, show every year, right. Uh, and the expo and all that, like he's always there in Columbus, Ohio, right. Like a small town, middle, you know, Midwest. And, uh, he's never become too big for that. Um, which is just, it's rare, but you know, I guess it just speaks to, and and you're in the, you're in the industry, you're out there. I mean, you, you see, like, I mean, and I'm not, so I, I don't – this is just my assumption, but there's just uh, – there's something about Arnold that just is, like, so real, right? right. Um, he's never changed. You know well, what I mean? And,
1: and he's special. Like, people like to – because he's kind of – like, there's a lot of, about Arnold that's goofy, but there's yeah. a lot about Arnold that's, like, legitimately special. For the guy to move to this country and really have no handle of the English language – Mm. and to be you know you go back watch pumping iron he's like i'm gonna take over hollywood and then maybe i'll get into politics and it's yeah. just you know in 1976 and then to see how it just unfolds to have someone with that kind of vision and that kind of drive and to just make things happen um is he's he's a remarkable guy
0: oh yeah so i'm curious for you so like obviously you get into fitness you know when you're in recovery you're in your 20s right how is your approach to fitness and health change over the years? Cause now you're a father and right. you, you know, you have a lot more success than you did back then. You've worked your way through and created a, a an incredible career and stuff for yourself and a family. How has your approach to fitness changed or has it changed?
1: Uh, it's, it's changed tremendously. Um, longevity, sustainability. Those are things that are a factor. Now mm. when I was newly sober and, and um, kind of, getting into really getting into where it became a a serious part of my life that wasn't an issue it didn't matter if my back my lower back didn't feel too good i was going to deadlift 525 pounds today and that's (laughs) that's what's going to happen and if i my back snapped in half so be it you know um if my shoulder didn't feel too well it doesn't matter i'm doing flat bench i'm doing flat bench because that's that's what i do bro um and uh i'm gonna have i'm gonna have 300 grams of protein because no more protein bed. And yeah. then I started to think of things like my liver, and, <laughs> you know, and I, 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 those things have come, have come into play. Um, yeah, it was no problem to take stimulants. You know, I, I was in recovery, so I wasn't taking you know, illegal ones or anything like that, but it was no problem to like, if I, if one energy drink, or if, if, uh, two of these Xenodrin pills are good. I'll take four before the gym. I'll be I'll be geeking out of my mind. You know, it was all about it was all about performance, 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 and it, yeah. and that definitely I wasn't shying away from my original point about it being a, a, a psychological and and an emotional benefit because it was because I was beating the logbook mm. and I was doing something you know that I I was I was engaging in a challenge a self imposed challenge and I was winning and but I didn't look at all the other things around it, like what it was doing to my inside, how it was gonna make me feel, how it was gonna affect my sleep. Um, Those are things that I never took into consideration. And then about five or six years ago, right right about the time um, uh, of having my daughter, um, I I started to think about things like, is this good for my overall health? And now that is my prime directive. You can still, there's a lot of things underneath that umbrella. But I made the umbrella about my health, and that's that's definitely the biggest change for me.
0: So you're, bo- are you doing boxing now, right?
1: I have, yeah. I've been I've been studying martial arts for a long time. Um, I started in Thai boxing, Muay Thai. Oh yeah. Um, then got into Jujitsu, but now I'm I'm uh in traditional Western boxing because I have a there's a there's a radio <laughs> guy here, a friend of mine, Jason Ellis. Who's oh pretty, yeah. Pretty successful guy. I know Jason. Um, and he he does the Ellis Mania every year. Oh, and nice. he yeah. somehow tricks me into fighting every year. Um, <laughs> this year, I'm excited because it's actually a normal, traditional boxing match with no like novelty. I don't have one hand tied behind my back. I'm not, you know, fighting with a blindfold or a shock collar or something. I just I get to box, you know.
0: Are you boxing him?
1: No, no, no. Oh, I oh, don't okay. want to do that. I, had, <laughs> I did though. I did once. Nice. He, he, he beat me like a mule. <laughs>
0: Yeah, the fighting culture, man. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. I guess, well, it's been a, we've been doing the same thing for many thousands of years, right? I mean, we, we, fighting has always been, uh, and violence has always been an entertainment, uh, for, for the common man, right? Um, but the, the UFC and fighting and just in general has like freaking exploded, man. Yeah. Like it's unbelievable.
1: It really uh, is crazy. And, and I think it's great because now if you're just, a pumped up, uh, kind of um, st- roided out maniac. <laughs> you really gotta watch who you talk shit to. No in shit. 1990s, yeah. If you were buff enough, you could get away with pushing people around and just yeah. like, like now, like the 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 affliction shirt guy has to watch <laughs> his ass because some some dude that you totally don't suspect will rip your arm right off your right off your shoulder girdle.
0: Oh my god! Yeah, like I. I go and I do uh, boxing Muay Thai and Jiu Jitsu. Um, I tore my bicep actually doing it. Uh, and, and well, part of the reason I tore my bicep was doing Jiu Jitsu, but I, um, you know, the guys in the class who are just destroyers, mm-hmm. you would net, they're like the accountant, right? At, at yeah. the office. You're like, ah, oh, this guy, fuck this guy. Right. But then, all of a sudden he's got you in a rear naked choke and he's like, you know, making you scream mommy. You're like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs>
1: like, especially, especially in jujitsu. A lot of oh, guys yeah. who are really, really good at jujitsu are like tech dorks. Or, oh yeah. You know, like they look like, like chess players and stuff. And it's, uh, I think it's because it is a bit more cerebral than hundred uh, percent. You know, I mean, don't get, I, I meet some pretty gnarly guys in Muay Thai where you take one look at them and you're like, well, I, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to mess with that guy. This, this guy <laughs> has problems. <laughs> but the jiu-jitsu, yeah, definitely. You, you see the guy just looks so kind of sweet and passive. Like, he'd never harm a fly, but he, he's, you know, he's omoplataing me like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, if you can – I actually – I just started my five-year-old in jujitsu, and uh, his first training partner was this little girl mm. uh, who was, uh, you know, like a year older than him. And she was kicking his ass. Like, and I loved every second of it, right? I right. just love watching him getting humbled because uh, I've, I've been there, right? And it's like, you know, but these days it's become so common now. It's like almost if you don't do it, if you don't do some kind of martial arts or, you know, self-defense or whatever, it's almost like weird
1: now. Like, oh, you don't do anything?
0: Like, but I think it's part of that UFC culture and just how popular. I mean, there's a fight on every weekend now.
1: Yeah. It might be oversaturated, to be honest. As a huge Oh, fan. yeah. I, I say it there, might. There's something to kind of leaving him wanting more.
0: I missed the buildup, like, for the quarterly fight. You know what I mean? Like, every, every two months or so or every
1: three months, there was always, like, a big fight. Now it's like, oh, I can watch a world-class fighter every weekend. I think that, that the humbling aspect is what really draw, drew me to it, especially when I first got started about, about 10, 12 years ago because I had attacked bodybuilding and weight training with such fervor and I had achieved even through some, some, um, resistance, I had achieved a level of success that I had lost sight of being humble. Mm. I mean, it, it wasn't like I was walking around, like check my abs, but, <laughs> but, I, but I had, I had developed a, a sense, almost a sense of complacency where that, mm. that, that spiritual growth that I had talked about me getting into it with, um, it, it went away, you know, and, um, I, uh, you know, I had gotten into, I got, especially when I got into competitive bodybuilding, I naturally got into steroids. Sure. Um, and then, you know, it just, I, I kind of lost sight of my original desire and what originally drew me to weight training. And so to go into martial arts, um, where it didn't really matter how big my muscles were or how good I looked, yeah. I was getting humbled. I was getting humbled a lot. Mm. and um and I never am going to escape that I have no I have no delusions of being you know the next John Jones it's just it's not why I do it I do it because it reminds me of those first years of getting back into uh weight training where like every day was this immense struggle like where I just felt like I was walking through fire and I felt so good getting out of it when I can make it to the other side, I really felt like a different man.
0: Yeah, no, I, I've been there and, uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to get back. Like, you know, I tore my, my arm and it's funny because, um, there's, there's certain parts of fitness that like, you know, I get hurt or something. And I'm like, I don't mind taking a break for a while, but martial arts is like, God, I, I'll just go in one hand and I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, you know, I'll just, I'll just go hit the bag and keep my, my left still. And I'll just, you know, just throw a bunch of rights, you know, um, it's crazy, man. I gotta ask you too, and before I forget, what's it like being a dad for you, man? Like, coming from because it sounds like you had an amazing family, super supportive. Uh, at least it sounds like that based off what you've had to deal with. Uh, what's it like being a dad, especially to a little girl? I, I'm a father of two boys, so I have no yeah. idea what it's like.
1: It's, it's different. I mean, I can't speak from experience because I don't have a, a son. Yeah. But you know, from my close friends that that do, it's it's a different thing. And the the guys out there listening that have daughters, it's it's so strange. It's so amazing but it's so strange because I want to be super dad. Every guy, I think if you, if you have any common sense, you want to be the best dad you can be. Yeah. There's just some stuff like I don't get, and she's only five. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when she's 13 oh. I try so hard, but sometimes she's like, I just need to talk to mom about this one, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, and I get that. And, you know, it's so that, that, the kind of my ego uh, has had to take a, um, a hit from that because when she was one or two, I still had this idea, like, well, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be the greatest dad in the world. We're gonna have the most amazing connection. Um, but uh, you know, I, I had to kind of take a step back and realize, like, oh no, the, you're gonna have to really try hard to um, understand her and and give her space when the time's appropriate, too. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, so much. I guess so many of our bad habits. I know for me, like, it was like an eye-opening experience to start picking apart my habits because I had a little person in front of me just repeating everything I did. Right. You know, and and, I was and like,
1: again, oh, which, which for me was great. I, I went through it like initial kind of depression, uh, mm. era, uh, you know, like this real short, maybe three, four months, right after my daughter was born. And I think it exposed a lot about my longing for adolescence, about the things I felt like I didn't get or the things that I, I got wrong, you know, regretfulness and and things like that. But but I, I pulled out of that and it's been it's been amazing because like you said, it just it's this non judgmental mirror that really points out every shortcoming in and character flaw that you probably knew you had, mm-hmm. but you didn't have to really deal with. Now you do. Now it's just like there's spotlights on it. So uh it's been it's been an amazing thing. Uh it, I always tell people who are about to have a kid, I go, don't get me wrong. It's the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. It's amazing, though, because every category that you would measure the quality of your life by is going to go down tremendously. <laughs> everything. Like, yeah. it, like the amount of fun you have, the amount of sleep you get, the, yeah. the type of food you eat. like Take any measurement of quality of life, and it's going to go down. All your money's going to go away, everything. Um, <laughs> but, it's the, but it's the greatest thing that ever happened to you somehow.
0: It's the yeah. hardest and greatest thing ever. Yeah. I always say the same thing. The, it's funny you mentioned the adolescence thought. I had that thought uh, recently as too. And I, I started to think, though, is there anybody, though, that looks back in their adolescent years with, with fondness, though? Like, you know what I mean? Because it's such an awkward time. Maybe. You know, I don't but know. I, I feel like maybe. I
1: suspect they're... the people yeah. that say they do are full of shit.
0: Yeah. I was going to say, no. my fucking adolescent years were
1: awful
0: <laughs> it's a dream. Yeah, it's rough,
1: yeah i was thinking about that um you know i took my daughter to school the other day she just started kindergarten i was looking at all the kids and like you it's terrible to say but you could see like there's the cool kids already oh, yeah. at five yeah. and then there's the kids who are like having a really hard time and i know like i wasn't by any means like the prom king but i certainly wasn't like picked on or, or like a dork or anything and i know how hard it was for me Yeah. How hard is it for the kids (laughs) who really get fucked with? You know, it it, it, it brings a tear to my eye to kind of think about that, you know?
0: Oh man. No, absolutely. And then there's the whole argument though, that sometimes, well, I feel like there is the anti-bullying movement, right? Which I, which I get, right? I get because nobody wants to be bullied, but then there's also the argument that sometimes bullying can be a really good thing, right? For certain kids that turns them into driven, individuals who have this like desire to succeed like somebody as a comedian might have been Chris Rock who said that uh Steve Jobs was bullied right and he and he used to talk about it how that drove him to be something successful and it's like well without bullying we wouldn't have Steve Jobs (laughs) like you know what I mean I can't
1: I can't tell you how many high level high level elite world-class martial artists that I know that personally have said the only reason I got into this is because I was getting picked on
0: yeah it's insane I was getting bullied
1: and I'm, I'm, I don't uh, feel bad using their names because they've been public about. It, but I know GSP, for instance. I mean, yeah. many consider the greatest Welch weight of all time. He said, "Look, I only started fighting because I was getting bullied so much." He, Joe Rogan just said that the other day. I believe it was with uh, the Bill Burr episode. He said, mm. I, "I I only started training because I was tired of getting fucked with." Holy you know, shit, Yeah. And, so there's there's a there is definitely a latent benefit to bullying you know both both as um kids and adults i just think like there's a there's a there's a, like a there's a nice kind of margin of bullying that can be nice and beneficial in the long run then there's excessive to the point where you know you're starting to see like childhood suicides getting increasing 600 percent and stuff and that's that's where i think when they're redlining the bullying yeah that's where things get get ugly
0: well, it's kind of like you said before with the the homeless uh, folks that you've interacted with. There's there's a fine line, yeah, uh, with everything, and sometimes that line is hard to decipher. Right? It's hard to see what that line is. So there's there's bullying. There's kind of like the poking and the fun, like ha ha, whatever, pushing you a little bit. You know, kind of almost like a, a fraternity <laughs> hazing type of atmosphere. Yeah. And then there's like literally like trying to destroy someone's life, right? Yeah. Because because the person trying to destroy has such an awful life at yep. home, right? Maybe an abusive parent or a drug, you know, a, a drug addiction in the family that's just causing all sorts of, you know, hatred and whatnot, and they're taking it out on their peers, um, and then those peers are now feeling trampled and you know just completely lost. Um, and there's there's a lack of parenthood or a lack of uh, male presence, I know for sure, in a lot of homes, and these kids don't have that strong figure to say, Hey dad, like I'm getting fucking pushed around at school. What should I do? Right. Right. Like I had that, even though my dad was an alcoholic, I used to come home and be like, Hey, so-and-so was throwing quarters at me and hit me in the eye. Like, what do I do? And my dad was like, you know, you go over to him, you fucking take him by his shirt and you punch him in the face. (laughs) Like, And it was like, Oh, okay, cool. I I gave me some confidence. A lot of kids don't
1: have that. Yeah. And, and like, no one wants to advocate violence, but there, there really is a time and a place to stand up for yourself, whether it's violently or whether it's uh emotionally or you know because like you said getting back to that fine line there's a fine line between being a giving considerate person which is beautiful and there's a fine line between that and being trampled on yeah. and being walked all over and you know sometimes you got to do what you have to do to avoid going into that territory of being you know being a pushover i i certainly look i'm guilty of it i've i've some of my biggest regrets are from allowing people to do things to me, not the things that I did to other people, you know?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, it's, everything is a fine line, <laughs> even fitness, right? Like we talk about fitness, but you know, there's, there's uh, really lifestyle friendly ways of doing things, but then there's going into a, like you said, a place where even the lifestyle friendly stuff isn't healthy because you're not checking the health box as much as you should uh even though you're not extreme you're still extremely unhealthy you're doing things that just aren't going to serve you long term what do you uh what are you passionate about right now like what is your what is your big like when you wake up every day what do you what do you think about the most
1: i think about um and this is going to sound so corny but one of the things that's really been bugging me is the rampant um obviously there's a huge addiction problem in America, but the rampant problem amongst veterans Mm. Um, guys coming back from war and they not only have to deal with the psychological fallout of the PTSD, but they're hopelessly addicted to, uh, to opioids. And then no one's saying encouraged, but every, listen, every veteran I know, they, they all know there's a, there's nobody that's pushing them to be open about their feelings. There's mm. plenty of people who are pushing them to go to the bar at night and drink away their problems. Mm. You know, that's part of the culture. It's been since the beginning of American time, like the John Wayne attitude. It's like, bottle it up, um, bury bear your, bear your emotions because you're a man and you're a tough guy and you can deal with it and have a couple of pops when you get home and everything's going to be okay. And when you take men who have experienced what these guys have experienced and combine it with that means of coping, it becomes so wildly dangerous. If you look at the statistics of, of veteran suicide, it's like science fiction. You go, oh, That's well, that, outrageous. That, that can't be true. That's impossible. There's no way yeah. that that many of them are killing it. So that's been bugging me. And I, and I think it, it's, it hits a soft spot in me because at the time, right after 9-11, when I would have been perfect, I would have mm-hmm. been a perfect addition to the united states military i was such a fuck up i was such a loser such a washout that i was incapable of 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 serving my country and and i and I, I just literally i couldn't i couldn't tie my shoes let alone you know go to iraq or afghanistan um so i look back now and it's like what do i know about what have i experienced what can what wisdom can i impart what help can i give and i look at that and i just like it, it hits me right in the face because I see these, these men struggling and, and it just, it simply doesn't have to be that way.
0: What do we, what can we do about it? Because, you know, suicide is a, is a uh, very sensitive topic uh, for me. Uh, my sister tried to take her life and my uncle took his own life uh, a few years ago and uh, he was one of my best friends. And um, it was a scenario where I, you know, you just don't see it coming. Right. Um, funniest guy I've ever met in my life. Could have been a stand up comedian. I mean, that funny. And, um, just gone. Right. And so I know I see the stats um, and it's, it's truly unbelievable. Um, I talk to veterans all the time. I, he won't mind me mentioning his name, Dakota Myers, a a good friend of mine uh, saved, you know, I think seven lives in one of the bloodiest battles in Afghanistan and talks about all the time, how he's tried to commit suicide. And um, it's incredible, uh, incredibly sad. uh, But it's, I guess my question is always what, what can we do? Right. Like what, what are some of the steps we can take as, you know, people who have influence, um, and actually give a shit, what, what are some of the things we can, we can start doing to help?
1: I think there needs to be first and foremost, I think, and I'm not, I'm definitely out of my pay grade here, but I'm not, this isn't from me. This is from Dr. Drew. And I've heard him for years and years say this, the medical community themselves needs to be more, more educated on the idea of addiction. Mm. Um, Far too many actual legitimate physicians, well-meaning people who want to save lives are prescribing pills in a fashion that they shouldn't be hmm. because they simply don't get. And I look at, I've, I've experienced it. I, um. <laughs> I, uh, passed out at Coachella. This is well into my sobriety. I wasn't drinking. I don't know if it was a like heat stroke or what, but I was with my wife in the hotel. We were Last getting ready guns, guns probably like two years ago. I was going to see guns and roses at Coachella. And I got off the, 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 uh, toilet. And I don't know if it was like, I've been sitting too long, but I went wham and I fell back, passed out and hit my head on the, uh, on the sink. Oh, so shit. my wife took me to the hospital and everything. And, uh, the doc this is a doctor. This wasn't a, you know, a nurse's assistant or someone just coming by. Uh, he, he said, I'm going to prescribe you these per- said uh, because of the, the, the head trauma is pretty, and you're going to be in a lot of pain. And I was like, ah, I'm sorry. I I'm a, I'm a drug addict. I can't really take that. He's like, yeah, well, I'm yeah. only going to give you three or four. So it shouldn't be a problem. And I was like, no 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 I I can't put that in <laughs> my you body. You taken before? Can't put that in my body, you understand? Feels good as shit. This is a, yeah. a position, you know, and I know and Dr. Drew has been bemoaned this for for years about how his colleagues simply don't understand the disease well enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that would help because uh, a lot of uh, well-meaning uh beautiful men and women uh in uh, that are MDs are giving their time and their life to these veterans. They may not be understanding what's fully going on. Yeah, this guy broke his leg in Afghanistan, or, you know, lost his leg um, and is in a lot of pain. There needs to be some kind of way around giving them pills all the time because you're just, it's just a recipe, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. I think that's one aspect. Also, a bigger push for real legitimate manly men, and I know that that gets kind of a nasty connotation nowadays, but, that's the reality. Like, look, like there's, there's legitimate man's men out there that need to be pushing the idea that it's totally okay and totally masculine to talk about your feelings and your problems. Mm, yeah. You know, you don't want to be an exhibitionist about it. You don't want to be a whiny bitch about it. I get that. But it doesn't make you any less of a man to open up about s- serious feelings. Um, because I think that that's a pervasive idea amongst American men, especially amongst these toughest of the tough American men that you just you 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 may be feeling certain ways that you don't you're not necessarily proud of and almost all of us I I know myself included it sounds like you you came from the same upbringing you're not really encouraged to talk about it no whereas little girls a lot of times are boys are totally not and I think that there needs to be a push to the idea that it doesn't compromise your machismo to to be open about your feelings
0: yeah no I think if anything it when I, when I see some of the manliest guys, I know, uh, big names, you know, in different industries talk about these days, they talk a lot about how they feel and a lot of the struggles they've had. And, uh, I think more than anything, it gives you, gives you hope, right. That like, I'm not fucking alone, right? Like I'm not alone here. I don't have to sit here and be fucking depressed and, you know, think about suicide, you know, I, Because those thoughts creep into your head. I I went through it myself in my early 20s. I went through a deep depression. I was 80 pounds overweight, man. Like, I'm a fitness guy now, right? And so 80 pounds overweight, sitting there lost, broke, fucking homeless at one point. I thought about taking my own life. And that thought just like, holy shit. You know, I look at my kids now and I'm like, and thank God I had somebody to talk to back then. You know, I had a friend whose father was a pastor, right? And that saved my life. Um because I was able to talk to him about how I was feeling, and um, yeah, I mean, therapy is a real, a really good thing. <laughs> uh, I say that all the time. Therapy is incredible. And if that's where you want to talk and you know be able to be open about your feelings, you can have that in a very protective environment and, and you know safe environment.
1: Everyone, everyone should be in therapy if if they feel like they need to be. I mean, frankly, everyone should be in therapy. But oh yeah, yeah, therapy. And this I can tell you with absolute certainty. Therapy is only as effective as the client is willing. Mm. You can go to the best therapists in all the world, the five-star Yelp Manhattan penthouse uh, uh, therapist. If you don't commit to it, if you're not mm. forthcoming, if you're not really invo- invested, it's not going to work. Mm. Therapy is really only as effective as you are committed.
0: That, yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> it sounds very eerily similar to fitness, right? It's like, you could hire the, the best coach on earth. I know, you know, I know enough to get anybody in shape for the most part. Right. But if you're not willing to do it, I can Shit for you, man. Like you know what it's, I mean? It's I a perfect
1: do- analogy. I mean, pe- people could hire you, work with you. You could you could prep their meals oh, yeah, and, and, and show it. But if they're not into it, it's not, you're, you're, you're not going to get results.
0: hundred percent, man. Um, Dude, I, I feel like I talked to you for a long time. <laughs> I really, I appreciate this conversation, man. Um, what is, what is, what's the future look like for you? Like short term, what do you, what kind of projects are you working on? I know you have a podcast currently, right? Cause I, you have I, so do. Much I have, going on I have so a
1: called... podcast with, uh, with my man, Jason Ellis, who yep. roped me into getting beat up all the time. Uh, <laughs> it's called high and dry. Uh, I do it with him and his wife, Katie. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a broad topic, you know, pop culture, uh, pop culture podcast and i i really believe in it it, it is funny it's it interesting if you're into that um uh it's called the high and dry podcast and I, as of right now i uh, i don't want to sound i don't want to sound like i'm dropping bombs on you guys as as i'm going to become part of the competition but i'm i'm launching a specifically um health and fitness based podcast oh, that's uh, awesome man a, as we speak it's going to be kind of coming out probably in the middle of next week so
0: why'd i think you already had one
1: <laughs> well i did i did i ran one with dr drew for oh yeah yeah and we really liked it and dr drew for those people who don't know dr drew's really buff
0: oh yeah he's I fucking jacked
1: Surprises a lot of people dr drew's like legitimately jack um and he exactly. loves so um we we enjoyed doing that but he has gotten so tied down with great great projects and i'm so happy for him but he's gotten um, not only is he a legitimate doctor who still sees patients, mm. but he's on TV every hour of the day. And now he's getting really roped into, um, California government and, uh, the, the, homelessness problem. He's, he's been, um, uh, very much involved in that. And so I broke away from him cause he just simply had, didn't have the time to do it. And I'm going to be formulating my own specific fitness and uh, health podcast.
0: Awesome. When is that going to come out?
1: I'm, I'm hope I'm, I'm really hoping on paper it would be next week. Oh, sweet. Um, okay, awesome.
0: Yeah. What's it called? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot now. The people,
1: the people that put money into it wanted it to be called the Mike Catherwood, health, you know, the Mike Catherwood <laughs> podcast. I was like, it doesn't it doesn't have it doesn't have the ring, <laughs> the ring I want. So, but the, the 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 structure and the, you know, the framework, the engineers and the the equipment and the rooms that I'll be doing it in, all of that's being set up.
0: Nice. The name
1: will have to become it'll be one of those 12th hour things.
0: Beautiful man. No, that's. I'm taking.
1: I'm taking. Uh, uh, you know, recommendations. If you have any, go ahead. Throw it out there.
0: Hmm. <laughs> I have like inappropriate ones. Something to do with wood or something. It's like.
1: <laughs> I get I, that. <laughs> that's okay, the first man. thing that
0: comes to mind. I, I guess it depends on who your market is. Um. Yeah, it's awesome, man. They well, said
1: they said you should you should put a, a website concurrently with the uh, with the podcast. I was like, how about sit on my Facebook? <laughs> and no one, no one laughed. No one was into it. I don't know.
0: No one has the dark humor that we do. I guess. No, no. Yeah, yeah. People are too uptight. <laughs> That's funny, man. So I, I I meant to ask you too, are there any charitable organizations that you're passionate about or anything like that? I've started to ask my guests that because we're we're becoming more and more focused on helping as many people as we
1: can in those avenues. Um I I always and have been, and my father actually got me into this. Um, but the Special Olympics, mm. I think people grossly overlook how beautiful an organization the Special Olympics is and the the actual exercise of the of the games themselves. Um, it's just a, a fantastic organization that has been continuously giving to uh, a part of society that I think is overlooked. Everyone feels a special place in their heart for people who are developmentally disabled but to actually see these athletes perform it's uh, it, it's nothing short, short of life-changing but also the Intrepid Fallen Heroes Fund which is there's a a litany of, um, veterans organizations, but the intrepid fallen heroes fund is specifically designed to give high quality medical care to injured, uh, veterans, which is something that they often, uh, they, they come back to the country and they have to kind of scrape by on subpar medical care. And the intrepid fallen heroes fund is, is about giving money to make sure that they get the best medical care they possibly can.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. We're, um, I know me and my team, we're putting together some, some, uh, fitness endurance events for me to tackle in 2020 to support, uh, some, some really good charities. Uh, and we're just making a list of some things that we want to support. Uh, so we can tackle that and raise money for a good cause. Um, but dude, I, I appreciate you taking the time to jump on here, man. This has been, uh, this has been cool. It's not, I must say in a world where egos are just like very hard to deal with. In a lot of cases, uh, I appreciate you just being, uh, very, very, uh, down to earth and just very open and honest with everything, man. It's, it's a breath of fresh air.
1: Well, thanks, man. I, I appreciate it, and right back at you too, because like I I Lord knows I get so upset that the fitness industry has kind of been hijacked by Instagram models and fuckboys and stuff. And it, but yeah. you know, I'm not trying to be denigrating, but that's the reality of it. Um, it's it, I uh, I was more than happy to jump on with you because I believe in you and and you as a as a as an entity and a, as a service because you're someone who I think really gets it. You know, so I
0: appreciate that, man. Yeah, that's funny you say the fuckboy thing because. uh, if you'll notice, like <laughs> we, do, we do the anti fuckboy boy shit, right? We no shirtless selfies, or at least as little as we possibly can to make sure people know that we're walking the walk and everything. But, you know, we, we definitely want to inspire uh, the common person, right? Just to take action and change their life through something that is very, simple to grasp onto and that's health and fitness and uh avoid this instagram trap that's been set for uh, people it's very unfortunate but yeah man hey we're keep fighting the good fight and i know you're doing the same thing i'm looking forward to your podcast man i'll have to tune in
1: thank you dude and i would love to have you on oh that'd be an honor
0: oh my gosh yeah i would i would be extremely honored to do that i'd love that thanks man awesome man well hey be safe keep keep the health and i'll be talking to you soon man
1: Thank you for listening to the True Transformation Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a rating and a review and subscribe to the show. True Transformation.